Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Our text is the very final portion in our study in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 16, we'll draw attention to verses 14 through 20. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, a beautiful day. Thank you, Matt, for leading us um, and the rest of the team and those three young ladies who sang. What a blessing and encouragement. I was thinking if they're looking for, like, to round out that quartet, um, I'm thinking about going back into a singing career, um, <laughs> might stand out a little bit, um, but I'll give it a shot. If this is your first time here, um, a special welcome to you um, and for my good friend Billy, who is visiting with us. And what a, what a delight uh, to be in God's house on God's day. Uh, we know, as we have been riveted to the news this past week, uh, there's just a lot of stress and fear, particularly for those down south. Uh, we need to pray and we need to lift up those who are in the wake, the islands who have been obviously hit very hard but also those are in the path of this storm. Um, Let me remind you that God is sovereign. God is in complete control, and he uses every circumstance, every circumstance uh, to draw attention to him. And that is our prayer as we pray for protection. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we dedicate our time, and Lord willing, uh, have opportunity to learn from his word this morning. Father, we do come before you, and I am so grateful uh, for this time you have given to us. I thank you, Lord, um, that you are here with us and that you speak. And God, that is my prayer, first and foremost, that you would speak to us. Open, um, Open blind eyes to see you. Open uh, deaf ears to hear you. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for your word that is absolutely perfect. It's without any error. Um, And it's perfectly applicable to where we are today in this world where there are people that are just living in absolute fear. I do think of those uh, in the path of this storm, um, those who have suffered loss um, in the islands. We also pray for those that are at this very moment in its path. We pray for protection pray for guidance. We pray, Lord, that your perfect will would be accomplished as you are the maker, even of storms. Father, as we now uh, pause, I would just pray that and ask that you would guard me, uh, use me however you see fit, um, fill me up and pour me out for your spirit. May your perfect will be accomplished. Uh, we do love you. We thank you for rescuing us by offering your own son, Jesus to die in our place on the cross. We thank you for the hope that exists and the good news of the gospel. I pray for my brothers that are preaching in pulpits at this very hour in this community. I strengthen them, empower them, use them. Uh, open, um, Lord, um, the, the eyes of the many lost in this community, that we would see a true revival take place in Lock Haven and beyond. Uh, We ask these things now in the precious and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Um, We are now drawing to a close. We have spent just a little bit of time in the Gospel of Mark. Just to remind you and kind of set things in perspective, we started this series 
um, on November the 1st, 2015. To put that kind of in like real time, it was 12 days later, a Friday night, November the 13th, 2015, that we were struck with news of 130 people were killed um, in Paris uh, by those um, shootings, terrorist attack. Um, that is the world that we live in. Since that time, since the beginning of this series, we have seen attacks and bombings in Nice, um, in Brussels, in Manchester, in Berlin and Munich, uh, mass shooting in Orlando, Florida. That, that's kind of the chaos of the world that you and I are called to live in. Uh, since this series began, we have seen uh, of the passing away, the death of Muhammad Ali, of Arnold Palmer, of Gordy Howe and Nancy Reagan have died. Uh, we had the Summer Olympics in Rio last summer. Um, as far as our church right here, we since completed a $1 million campaign. Uh, we have demolished and started rebuilding a warehouse, soon to be worship center. Uh, Kenny Hall in that time has come on as one of our elders. Um, I have married several couples. I have buried a few people, and there's no connection or relation between those two, just to let you know. Uh, we hired three full-time pastors since this series began. Um, Mosul was liberated from ISIS. Um, the three pastors that I hired wanted to claim responsibility for helping liberate Mosul, but there is no connection between that as well. Um, Great Britain left the European Union. A new president has been elected. Uh, terms like WikiLeaks and Brexit didn't even exist in our vocabulary when we began this series. Wendy and I became grandparents. Um, our son, Seth, uh, has gotten engaged. And the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. I'm not sure which is of those last two, which is a big, bigger miracle, to tell you the truth. Now what? Now with this text, we are, and here's the word for us, we are fini. Pretty impressive, huh? It's French, just so that um, you may be wondering. wondering. I, I, where we grew up for a number of years, it was required from third grade on to take French. And so I took French uh, from third grade through 11th grade. That's eight years. And to be perfectly honest, I flunked seven of those eight years of French. Now, there's very few words that I remember in French. Fini is one of them. I also nailed bonjour, au revoir, s'il vous plaît. They claim it was like our Philadelphia accent that we couldn't quite do the French thing. S'il vous plaît, uh, merci. And, and so, so there's a lot. Um, les, uh, when, when you had um, your cereal, in the morning, and lay is milk, because it was written on the back of the milk container. And the word, just so that you know, the word Cheerios for your cereal in French, it translates Cheerios, just so that you know that. The word poulet is chicken. I don't know why I remember that. But I tell you what, I, I, I we gave our poor French teacher just heartache and headache. And so what I would do if I wanted to try to impress dear Mrs. Rowley 
is that when I would walk into the classroom, I would ask her this, comment elle vous Elle voit? Elle voit. Sorry, not elle vous. Comment elle voit? And in French, it is the question, how are you? And she would typically respond, like she'd spout off something in French that she kind of sounded angry, to tell you the truth. I never understood what she was saying. I asked one time and it had something to do with, I'm frustrated beyond words having to teach you. <laughs> but when someone asks the question, okay, comment allez-vous? The only response, how are you? The only thing I actually remembered is, is I would say this, comme si, comme ça. Comme si, comme ça. I thought it sounded kind of cool. That was the only response. And what that word, what that phrase means is that I'm neither good nor bad. I'm in French class, for goodness sake. Comme, comme si, comme ça. I'm indifferent to it. Let me tell you this. As we are fini. Upon the completion of the Gospel of Mark, let me tell you this, you cannot respond with comasi comasa. I'm, I'm neither good nor bad. I, I'm indifferent to it. You cannot do that. Mark is the message of Jesus. We have asked repeatedly over and over and over again, what will you do with Jesus? Lord willing, you have not just learned about Jesus, his ministry and his mission, but far more importantly, my prayer has been that you personally know Jesus, that you personally know him, his teaching ministry, his healing ministry, his caring and communicating good news all the way through, touching and healing the blind and the lame and the sick, saving the loss. Lord willing, we have been learning not only how he impacts you individually, but how he impacts all of us together as a church. Why? So that we as a church can impact other people. You realize that? That we love Jesus and we live for Jesus and we do that, we show that by loving God and by loving others. There's no other way to love and to show our love than to what? Speak the truth in love. And that is our desire first and foremost. Let let me read to you the very final portion of this gospel, Mark chapter 16. We pick it up in verse 14. Excuse me. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they, were, as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons and they will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will, they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. <coughs> So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, 
while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. First thing, first thing I want to draw your attention to, and you can't help but notice this, if you recall back in November, November the 1st, precisely of 2015, and I was speaking in chapter 1, and, and, and in verse 14, it says what? That Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. Chapter 1 of Mark opens with Jesus coming and proclaiming the gospel. Look at how Mark ends. Chapter 16, the very last chapter, Jesus left saying what? Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. It's pretty clear. It bookends tight with what's happening here. As a matter of fact, on that very first Sunday, there was a quote on the bottom of your little note sheet that you have in front of you. And by design, it's the exact quote that's there today. And it says this, it's a great quote by Ray Ortland. It says, gospel doctrine creates gospel cultures. They're called churches where wonderful things happen to unworthy people for the glory of Christ alone. Wonderful things happen to unworthy people. You see, that's the message that we have here. Now today in our text, our final text, it is an interesting text to say the least, an interesting conclusion to the gospel of Mark. I think it's, it's, it's important to mention that there are some complexities. If you were following along, if you listened while I was reading, there's some complexities to this text. Well, what do you mean by that? Casting out demons, picking up snakes, and drinking poison. I think that kind of qualifies as some complexities. Now, let me tell you this. There has been much written about this text. There has been much debate. There have been even disagreements and arguments over these last few verses. Good and godly men have not always agreed. The reason is this, that some ancient manuscripts of Mark's gospel include these verses, and some ancient manuscripts of Mark's gospel do not include these verses, which poses a significant problem for some scholars who specialize in what? In, in, in the accuracy of historical manuscripts. So this is, this is what is referred to as a longer ending, 9 through 20. It's actually missing from, from older translations. Sinaiticus, Vaticus don't, don't include it. Depending on your translation, it may have ended with what? But they did not believe them. Now, now, in many ways, we can consider this last portion a postscript. Now, I'll talk to the older people that are here today. Remember when you would actually use a pen, like you'd hold a pen, and you would take a piece of paper, and you wrote a letter like that? Younger people, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But there's this, like it's a pen. You put ink in it, and you like put the date, dear, such and such. You write the letter, and you'd sign it. And then before you put it in the envelope, you actually would have to like fold it, put it in, lick a stamp. Tastes horrible. But, but if, if you finish the letter, and you're like, I forgot, I forgot something, you would at the bottom of that put a postscript, P.S. Oh, yeah, by the way. I don't like you, whatever it is, whatever it is. This is, in, in essence, a postscript. The problem is this. 
is that it doesn't fit Mark's style in writing. It's, it's almost as if. Now, so there are certain questions about it. I would, I would listen very clearly. I appreciate how Warren Wearsby says this. He says, what we know the contents, the contents of it are historically accurate. Thus, we must learn to live with the mysteries that surround them. And I think that's very, very telling. You have to remember what, up to the 15th century, before Gutenberg's printing press, everything was written or copied by hand. Everything, what, what scribes would, would give great care and careful attention to making sure that everything is accurate. Today we have more than 5,600 copies of ancient manuscripts to date as far back as the 2nd century. We have one referred to as what? P52. It dates to 1 to 150. And so we know that scripture in its essence, in its fullness, is authoritative and it's accurate. And that's what we rest in. Let's get to the first point here. Um, we saw last week what we celebrated. We sang Easter songs. We celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. As women, few women came to the tomb early. On Sunday morning, they were met by an angel who said, you're looking for Jesus, who is crucified? Yes, we are. And, and the angel says this, he is not here, he has risen. Those three words have changed everything. The angel says, you go tell Peter, he's been doubting. You go tell the disciples. And now he says, well, I want you to tell everyone. Number one, we begin with what I call, you know, as far as, okay, this whole this whole study is fini. It's finished. What, what, what now? What next? What next is what I call the greatest commission. Number one is the greatest commission. And he, Jesus, said to them, go into all of the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Now, this is normally, perhaps you are, are familiar with this, known as the great commission. I would agree at some extent, but I've yet to hear a greater commission. There's certainly a great commandment. We're not talking about that. And so if I've not seen a greater commission, then I call this the greatest commission. Jesus begins what? Speaking to the lives of his followers. And he addresses what? Their doubt. And he reveals concern. It actually says this. He rebukes them for their unbelief and hardness of hearts. Before Jesus commissions them, he in a sense chides them. You, you were doubting me. You were doubting what I said. It reveals a hardness of heart. Now, what does this share? What does this show us today? I tell you what, that these disciples are kind of like you and I. Because there is no doubt that every single one of us at one time or another, we have read the words of God and we have questioned it. Really? And we have doubted. So these disciples are a great reminder that what? We, we are just like them. We're in progress. We are, as James Roper would say, we are growing slowly wise. So what is this instruction? A final words here, repeat it in, in more detail in another gospel. Mark says what? Go proclaim the gospel. Matthew chapter 28 gives a little bit more detail. It says go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What? Teach them to obey all things that I have commanded. 
What's interesting here, even with that word go in Matthew 28, in Greek, it translates this. As you are going, make disciples. Now, why is that detail important? It's very important because this is what is referred to as a comprehensive command. It is, it is a constant, comprehensive. It's not a restrictive command. It's not a reserved clause for only those what? You know, those missionaries that go overseas to go live in the African jungle or the Sahara, the Sahara Desert? That's not what we're talking. It's not restricted to only those people who go over there. Instead, this is speaking about what? You and me. As you are going, what? To the workplace. As you are going to school. As you are going to the bus stop. Do kids even go to bus stop? Do kids ride buses any longer? Or does, does mommy drive you to school? As mommy is driving you to school... You are to go and make disciples. As you're going to your office, as you're, as you're going to the grocery store, as you're going to the movie theater, as you're going to what, the, the ball game, if you're going to your book club. Is anyone really in a book club? If you go, uh, we have one. I saw that hand. <laughs> as you go, then you are to what? It says, go and proclaim the gospel, the good news. That word proclaim actually is translated preach. The, the word is caruso. It means to herod, herald, excuse me. It means to, 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 to cry out loud, to announce, to declare, to broadcast. In a sense, it has the idea of someone sowing seeds in a field. You'd have a bag on your hip with seeds in it. You'd walk and you'd take it and you'd throw the seeds. You're to broadcast the seeds. You are to go and what? Caruso. Some of, some of you automatically will think about it. I'm, I'm to go preach. No, 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 no. We, you see, I go to a church and, and we pay a guy to preach. That's, that's how we do it now. Uh, no, no. That you are called to preach. You are called to caruso. This is not reserved for preachers or pastors anymore that to go is reserved for missionaries. It, it, it talks about the fact anyone who would raise your hand and say, yes, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. If someone were to ask you a question, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, raise your hand. We could actually ask that question now. If you are a follower, keep your hand up. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, raise your hand. There's a lot of people in this room who are claiming to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. What? This is speaking to you. You are to go and publish. You are to go and broadcast. You are to go and preach and proclaim. Yeah, but someone could make fun of me if I really said that. 
Did you realize the difference? There were people, no doubt, in Mark chapter 16, Jesus, what? He chides them because of their lack of faith. They questioned him. And yet these same people, by the time you get to Acts chapter 4, there is something totally different that is happening. It says this in Acts chapter 4, and when they had prayed, that's, that's, that's the motor that drives this whole ship. We're encouraging everyone, everyone, to come out every single night for 30 consecutive days. I know we have really busy schedules. That is the motor that drives this whole ship. It says, as they prayed, listen to this in Acts chapter 4, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Can you imagine that? That, that as people cry out, Pleading for the souls of those around them, pleading that the Holy Spirit would use them in any way. The place actually began to shake. It says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness, with bravery. What is interesting is I'm amazed how bold you are as a congregation already. The problem is this. Many of you are more bold about your favorite team then you are the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, I mean, I see more Steelers and Penguins and Pirates. I see, I, I see more people applauding. What? You need to try out this restaurant. Like I just tried this restaurant, and when you get there, you need to eat this because I ate this. And you tell everyone, like you wouldn't believe what I just ate. And you tell everyone about it. You're bold, but it's like bold for what? We're to be bold. In our proclamation of the most important message the world has ever known. It says, what, in 16, I know this raises some questions. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Be assured that you always compare scripture with scripture. That is very true. But we also know that belief is what saves and baptism is an evidence of that belief. We know what scripture says in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, period. Some people would add to that and say, if you're not baptizing, you're really not saved. But that's not what it's saying here. Verses 17 and 18 describe some signs. And, and we talk about like demons here. And we talk about people that are grabbing snakes and drinking Poison, and we're like, this is just like really freaky weird. Dear Billy's first day in church, and people are drinking poison. No, 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 no snakes here. My wife will be relieved to know that. What, what, what is it? Obviously, apparently, it's it's very unique for a certain apostolic age. God is authenticating his message through miracles, and he did it all the time. Please, please understand that not everything described in Scripture is prescribed in Scripture. Which means, okay, now what we have to do, and churches sadly have done this and have added to it. What we're going to do is we're going to bring some snakes up here, and we're going to like play with them, get them angry, but they're not going to bother me. And people have, <laughs> stupid people have died because of that. You don't, you don't. Test God. You don't tempt God. It is a demonstration at a particular time for those who trust. Many people have taken signs and added to. I had a, another pastor tell me that 
I am not going to heaven. I'm really not saved because I did not and have not ever received the gift of tongues. And that is not true. I am saved. I am going to heaven because I put my faith and trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am saved because I've acknowledged the fact that I am a sinner begging for God's mercy. And when I die, I will go to heaven for all of eternity because of the work of Jesus, not because I did or did not do or act in a way that man tells us we should act. I don't see, and I have not read chapter and verse that ever says, if someone doesn't receive this sign, then they are not a believer. Where to go from this? You are to go. That's what it means. You're to go directly. You're to go immediately. You are to go consistently. I wonder how much, how much time is spent in your world actually fulfilling the greatest commission, the greatest piece of instruction that Jesus intended for you to hear. Sadly, we're like, no, come with me and someone else will proclaim to you. No, that's not how it works here. We are ambassadors. We are ambassadors. Paul uses the word in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, ambassadors for Christ, making an appeal for him. I like the way Tony Evans, pastor at Oak Cliff in Dallas, says this. Just like our embassy is a little piece of America a long way from home, we as a church are to be a little piece of heaven a long way from home. So that if the world is kind of like, like what, how does it act? Like, what does it do? And like, what? They look at us and they ought to see love. Every single week, every single week, I get emails of somebody who's in need of something. We all do. Somebody's in need of a truck to help move. I have yet to hear or see of any need that was not met by the church. Need, not one, big difference. Why? Because the church loves one another. We care for one another. And you are serving. Keep doing that. Why? Because the world is looking and seeing a little glimpse of what heaven should and will be like through the effective ministry of followers of Jesus. Number one, we see the greatest commission. Number two, we see the miraculous ascension. Nothing short of miraculous. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Well, this this whole phrase, taken up, like what do we mean by that? It is as literal as you can translate. It means what? That, that, that Jesus was taken up. That's how it translates. And just as Matthew gives a little bit more detail on the Great Commission, both Luke and Acts 1 give a little bit more detail on this miraculous ascension, a little bit more. It says this in Luke chapter 24, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, as he is blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. An amazing scene. Acts chapter 1 says this, we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. You'll be witnesses that you will do this. Like this is what happens. And it's described what? As they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
that Jesus literally, what, his feet were on the ground, and then his feet were not on the ground, and the clouds, he went into the clouds, and the clouds just, what, caused him to disappear. And it says in the latter part of Acts chapter 1, I believe it's verse 11, it says that Jesus is going to come in the same way as you saw him go. (laughs) Oh, man. Just think about the fact that there are people watching and there's no like hidden cable behind him. Okay, there's no like mechanical um, trick that's happening or, or some hidden like special prop somewhere. No, no, no. His feet were on the ground and his feet were off the ground. Jesus miraculously lifts off. And he will come in like manner. And this time when he comes, the next time when he comes... It's not going to be the same way that he did the first time. It won't be a little baby in a manger, humble and crying, meek and lowly. No, no. It says what? In Matthew 24, all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Oh, man. We preach, I believe, our church has been grounded upon the foundation of the gospel. We, we teach something referred to as the eminent return. There's a question as far as at when point and how and what has to happen. All I know is that just as Jesus lifted off from the ground, he's coming back again. That's what we focus on. Every single one of us will stand before the Lord. Every single one of us will give account for every breath you've taken and every beat of your heart. And that's why this is so important. It is a miraculous ascension. Thirdly and finally, we have the greatest commission, the miraculous ascension. We have the efficacious intercession. Oh, what a great word. I'll help you. I know that you're looking. E-F-F-I-C-A-C-I-O-U-S. It simply means the effective. The, The word efficacious means powerful. Perhaps you've heard of the efficacious blood of Christ, the full work of Christ on the cross. Uh, Efficacious means producing the desired effect that Jesus is interceding in a amazingly effective way. That's exactly what he's doing. It says that he is seated at the right hand of God. You can be assured that Jesus is not up there eating sweet chili Doritos with his feet up and a remote in his hand. That's not what's happening here. Romans chapter 8 gives very specific instructions as Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that, the one who was raised. I love this. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What Jesus is doing, the word intercede is defined as to mediate for us. It, it means to argue on one's behalf. That's what Jesus does for us. What does that mean? Our kids would come to me late at night. However, they wake up 11, 11, 30. Hey, dad, could I have like this whole box of sweet tarts? My answer is no. They would go to mom. Mom, could you go to dad? Can you, in a sense, argue on our behalf? I'm not even going to go to dad. No, go to bed. Box of sweet tarts at 11.30 at night. In a sense, what? Jesus has the ear of God. And we gather. No, no, no. We don't gather. A few gather to pray. 
and plead. And we need more. We need more people pleading for the souls of the lost that live in our community. And do you you understand what it means, Jesus, who is seated? Literally, it means ex-cathedra. It means that he he is seated in a position of authority. His work is fini. And he's interceding powerfully on our behalf. And I believe if there's one, if there's one area that we really don't understand when it comes to the gospel message, we, we don't understand the power that is at our disposal. We, we don't realize like who we are approaching, we are entering with heads bowed, what, the throne room of grace. You realize that, that, that storm that is swirling, and then there's another one, another one. You realize the one who didn't just speak those storms into existence, but spoke the entire universe into existence is the one who you're going to. And we do it in the name of. That's when we pray to your heavenly father. We approach to our heavenly father and we lay out our heart. We just pour out. And we conclude with what? In Jesus name. I'm coming upon his name, his work. He did the work. We're not able to approach God. He's too holy for us. But Jesus intercedes for us. Look look at this. Look how it's written in Hebrews. I want you to see this yourself. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. It says, since then we have a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession." We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. Hard to imagine Jesus living here on this earth in a body just like ours, tempted and feeling the full weight of every piece and part of his flesh, and he was yet without sin. Listen to this and continues on. Let us then with confidence... One of my favorite words in all of the English vocabulary, not cockiness. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. We pray, God, open the eyes of the blind. But we can do that with confidence. God, open the ears of the deaf. God, use me however you see fit. Place me. Give me the right words to just what Caruso to proclaim Jesus, Jesus, not just anyone, is at work, A, with us. Look how it ends in Mark chapter 16, verse 20. They went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. <laughs> is that like amazing? As you go out, the Lord is working, what? Just as they were commissioned, we are commissioned. This is they are to go and they are to proclaim. We are to go. We are to proclaim that God works. The Lord worked with them. God works in us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Hebrews 13 says the same thing. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. We see that. We see what Jesus is doing. We still doubt. We still question. Thirdly and finally, what Jesus is at work for us. Romans chapter 8, all things work together for good. For good, good can come from a storm. Good can come from the death of a loved one. Good can come from the loss or the ache 
or the pain, like life's not going how I thought it should should go. No, God is at work for us. What joy, what hope, what confidence, not, not a silly drug-induced happiness that the world has for a fleeting moment. Like, let's, let's pretend we're all okay here and numb our minds. No. It's a joy that is an evidence of the Holy Spirit that he places inside and it bubbles up and pours out to all those. That's the result of Jesus at work. The peace that passes all understanding, a love that all the world will know that we belong to God. An amazing message, an amazing mission that we've got a glimpse of the gospel of Mark to learn about. I trust that you know what to do with Jesus. Father, we love you and we ask that you continue to work and give us the strength only, only that you can give for us to be faithful, to be faithful proclaimers of the good news. In your name we pray, amen.